Welcome back, all you punk rockers out there. On this episode of Let's Talk Punk Rock, we'll be looking at a short-lived band that was massively influential on the ska punk scene. So, take warning for this bombshell. Be part of the crowd and feel that unity. That's right, everybody. We're doing Operation Ivy. Operation Ivy is one of those bands with a fantastic logo like Crass, Black Flag, or the Dead Kennedys. It's instantly recognizable, and for the longest time, that logo is the only thing I knew about the band. I regret all the time wasted before giving them a listen. Much like when we did our Rancid episode, this one will start with the demise of another band of Tim Armstrong's, Basic Radio. Basic Radio was a ska band formed in 1985 with Tim Armstrong, Matt Freeman, and Vincent Camacho. Armstrong and Freeman would go on to form Operation Ivy, a name taken from a series of nuclear tests done in 1952. This band was started with the intent of being strictly a punk band, unlike Basic Radio. Operation Ivy would consist of Matt McCall Freeman on guitar, Dave Mello on drums, Jesse Michaels singing lead vocals, and of course, Tim Lint Armstrong. Now, I can't find any definitive proof on where the nickname Lint came from, but multiple interviews seem to hint that Armstrong just gave it to himself. Why you would choose to name yourself Lint is beyond me, but that's what he was going by at the time. It wasn't long before Armstrong's natural ska strumming style would start to influence the band's sound and push them from strictly punk and into the newly emerging ska punk genre. Now let's be clear here, Operation Ivy did not invent the genre. There are plenty of other ska punk bands who had been playing before they even formed. What Operation Ivy did do, however, is show how it could be done without horns or having to wear suits, which is what bands like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones would continue doing. Michaels and Mello weren't as educated on ska music as Armstrong was, and so he had to give them a crash course in the sound. He had them listen to records by Madness, The Specials, and English Beat. With a full band set up, they played their first show on May 27, 1987 in drummer Dave Mello's Garage. Along with Operation Ivy were Crimp Shrine, Bitch Fight, and Isocracy. The place was packed as a good house show typically is. The amount of people combined with the high energy of the place resulted in a wooden shelving unit in the garage falling over and nearly taking out Dave Mello. Luckily for him, fans were there to catch it before it struck him. Their next show would be played the very next day at the up-and-coming venue 924 Gilman Street, opening for millions of dead cops, or just MDC as they're better known. Surely, we'll get to them one day. Gilman soon became a key location for the band, and they would go on to play there many, many times in their short-lived existence as Operation Ivy. Tim Armstrong was already well-known around Gilman. He would volunteer to take the weekend trash to the dump for them, and in return would be given a free ticket to a show of his choosing. Operation Ivy became well-liked enough that they were often booked to play last when they were performing because the person doing the booking knew that would increase the chances of people staying for all of the other bands. Gilman once did a battle of the bands, which Operation Ivy performed in against Crimp Shrine, Elvez, and a soon-to-be major success, Green Day. Operation Ivy rocked some covers, including a cover of Journey's When the Lights Go Down in the City. When the lights go down in the city And the sun shines 
In October of 1987, Maximum Rock and Roll recorded a compilation album called Turn It Around, which gave Operation Ivy their recording debut. In the book Give Me Something Better, Dave Mello states that they asked all the bands to be on it, which pulls some of the thunder out from under these guys, but still gave them that recording experience. It was recorded by local engineer Kevin Army. Army wasn't really all that familiar with the bands he recorded, but he was impressed with Operation Ivy's song Officer, saying that it was simultaneously ska, hardcore, and pop punk. In January of 1988, they signed with Lookout Records. It's here that they released their debut 7-inch titled Hectic. Mid-88, they would become the first Lookout Records band to go on a U.S. tour. They also start playing bigger venues and started getting some attention from major labels. The tour they went out on was set up by Kamala Parks. Parks had been successful in setting up a tour for Clown Alley, and when Larry Livermore, owner of Lookout Records, heard about this, he asked her to set one up for Operation Ivy. Parks already knew about the band and enjoyed their music, so she agreed. To her credit, Parks never agreed to getting paid for her work and only asked that the bands pay her phone expenses for setting it up. Ian Mackay once told her that she should be getting paid for the work she was doing, but she replied saying that she didn't want to mix her love of music with being profit-motivated. Now Operation Ivy spent the year leading up to this tour playing nearly every weekend, with most of those shows being at Gilman. When they did set out on the six-week-long tour, they went in style. And by style, I mean they crammed into Matt Freeman's beat-up 1969 Chrysler Newport, which he had bought from his neighbor who was blind in one eye. This resulted in it being beat-up and dented on just the one side. Before leaving, Armstrong's father built a crate that attached to the roof and would hold most of their equipment, and Freeman's father insisted that they get new tires as well. Six weeks can be a long time in those conditions, and with no credit cards and little cash, they may do crashing with fans, camping, and enjoying a diet that mostly consisted of cheese sandwiches. While on tour, they started to work out some more material. One song completed while on tour was Unity. They also started working out what would become the songs Sound System and Take Warning. When they returned, Lookout was talking about possibly sending them on a European tour with Culture Shock, but Michaels was done touring. He hadn't really enjoyed the tour they went on and wasn't about to jump back out there in another country. After touring, they decided it was time to make a full-length album, Energy. Larry Livermore disagreed, believing that it was too soon. The band insisted, and so they got to work recording. 
Originally, this was set to be recorded by sound guy Randy Hirsch, but Hirsch wasn't making things easy. He had a specific idea of what he wanted it to sound like and started to get picky. He even had Dave Mello overdub just the snare drum because it wasn't popping the way he wanted it to. Recording with Hirsch took so long, they had to change the lyrics of Freeze Up to say 1989 instead of 1988. Eventually, Operation Ivy got tired of how long recording was taking, and so they asked Kevin Army back to record. Army was able to record the entire album in just one eight-hour session. No song took more than two takes. Army kept quiet on his comments for most of the recording, but did give the note that they needed to ease up on the oi 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 in every song. He said that they were sounding like the village people. He decided to compare them to the village people because he knew that would bother them and get them to stop. Although the band didn't have a horn section, they did have Paul Bonney come in to record some saxophone on the track Bad Town. Bonnie had been in Dave Mello's band Distorted Truth. Unfortunately, two months prior to the release of this album, Operation Ivy agreed it was time to quit. The announcement of their breakup came with their last Gilman show, which also happened to be the release party for Energy. It was a packed show. Gilman had a capacity of around 300, but those who were there estimate there were twice that many people or even more. This made it difficult for bands to make it to and from the stage. All members of Operation Ivy have stated that the breakup was a mutual thing, and it wasn't one person or thing that caused it to end. That being said, there were definite problems. Like we talked about at the start of the Rancid episode, Armstrong had developed a serious drinking problem. And we're not talking about a guy who drinks too much every night and is annoying. No, Armstrong was reaching that stage that it's a little surprising he didn't end up dead. At times, he would be so drunk at shows that he couldn't even play. Fat Mike recalls him taking nearly 10 minutes to change a string he was so wasted once, and Larry Livermore also mentions a time when he invited some journalists from San Francisco over to check out the band, and Armstrong's drunkenness ruined the show. Livermore proceeded to yell at him after the show out of both embarrassment and worry for Armstrong. Matt Freeman had also taken him on multiple trips to detox centers to try and help his friend. Beyond Armstrong's heavy alcohol abuse, Jesse Michaels was seeming like he really just wasn't into being in a band anymore. He hadn't liked touring, and their band was beginning to get really popular. That sounds amazing to most, but keep in mind these guys are just kids at this time, and in a few interviews I've found with Jesse Michaels, it seems like he was struggling with pretty severe depression. After the band broke up, he headed to Nicaragua to see if he could help out there. Larry Livermore tells a different story to the mutual breakup. He claims that Armstrong and Freeman showed up at his place torn up because Michaels had ended the band by saying he didn't want to do it anymore, and they didn't know what to do. 
Armstrong has always denied that this ever happened. In 1991, Lookout Records released a complete discography of all of the Operation Ivy recordings, including the songs from their 7-inch, their album, and tracks Officer and I Got No. This album would be re-released November 6, 2007 on Hellcat Records. In 1996, the album CD is released by the label Karma Credit. It's another collection of outtakes, live tracks, and demos, but it does include the song Hedgecore, which is about how kids would go around throwing themselves into people's hedges and mess them up. You can also hear Tim Armstrong play a little of this on acoustic in the documentary Turn It Around, The Story of East Bay Punk. May 4, 2006, Lookout announces that Energy would be removed from their catalog. It was one of their best-selling albums, but the band took the rights to the album back after unpaid royalties. Lookout would officially close down in 2012. Alright, that's it. A short one, but still a lot for a band that only lasted two years and put out the one album. This wasn't the easiest to research, as I couldn't find any books specifically about Operation Ivy. Some helpful resources, if you're interested in the East Bay Punk scene around Gilman, though, are the documentary Turn It Around, The Story of East Bay Punk, and books Give Me Something Better, Larry Livermore's How to Ruin a Record Label, and Smash by Ian Winwood. If you're interested more in the ska side of things, I did find some useful information in Aaron Karn's book In Defense of Ska. A big thank you to all you punk rockers out there. There was a big uptick in downloads since the last episode, which means you're talking and leaving those reviews, which really do help. If you haven't left a review yet, please take a minute to do so. It helps others find the show, and I love reading the reviews. But if you don't want to say anything, I get it. You can still click the five stars. Don't forget to check out the Patreon, where you can get release notifications, updates on the show's progress, and early access to the episodes as soon as I finish them. When this season finishes, I'll be taking a break to get more recorded to cut down on large gaps between episodes, but I will still be posting them to the Patreon as soon as they are finished so you can hear them there first if you don't want to wait. If you don't like the idea of Patreon's monthly commitment but still want to donate to the show, there is a coffee page set up for donations. And there's always merch on the TeePublic account. Go check it out! And I assure you that Granddaddy Long Greg is working on another design, but he does this for me as a friend, so other jobs do take precedence. Links to all of this are in the show notes and on the website at letstalkpunk.com. As for that website, head on over to check it out. There are a couple bare pages there, so please feel free to help out by sending your punk stories, photos, artwork, or if you've got a band, send me a video for some free promotion. You can send all of that to me at letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. 
That's also the best place to contact me with suggestions for future episodes or to send me any corrections to mistakes I may have made. Contact can also be made on the show's Facebook page and Twitter account, which is Let's Talk Punk. That's Let's underscore Talk underscore Punk. This is a one-man operation, leaving all the research, scripting, recording, and editing up to me. With that, every little bit of encouragement helps. I really enjoy getting your emails. As always, a special thanks to Granddaddy Longreg for the show logo and being willing to work on new designs for the show as well. And finally, hints to our next and final episode of this season. They come from the Orange County hardcore punk scene of the early 80s. At the time of this recording, they have 10 albums from 1981 to 2020, breaking up for the entirety of the 90s. And finally, they have a track on the game Tony Hawk's Pro Skaters 3. Think you know who it is? Let me know on social media. Alright, that's it. I'll catch you on the flip side.